Collective team is made up of three millennial women who are passionate about destigmatizing and personalizing dementia care. Haley, JL, and Erin have a collective 30 plus years in the senior care industry where they all noticed the gaps in supporting people living with dementia and their loved ones. The Creative Dementia Collective was born to fill those gaps and begin to shift the culture of dementia care. Let's welcome back the ladies of CDC to the podcast today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Able Voice podcast with Kim and Haley. Hello. Today, we are very excited to welcome back our friends from the Creative Dementia Collective. Um, so hello, Erin, JL, and Kelly. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for joining us. It's lovely to see you all, and I'm excited to get into uh, what you've been up to and to catch up. We want to start off by getting a little bit of a sense of, you know, the dynamic of your work, because I think the way that you work and how collaborative it is in nature is very unique and quite fascinating to both Haley and myself. So wondering if we can start off by just telling us a little bit about the collaborative interdisciplinary dynamic that you all work within. Sure. Uh, this is Erin, and I am the uh, dementia educator in our little trifecta. So I'm a certified independent trainer with Tifa Snow's organization, Positive Approach to Care. So I bring that dementia education piece, building uh, awareness, building skill, um, and starting to shift the conversation right from the get-go, um, you know, about what dementia is, how it impacts somebody, and why we're doing the work that we do. So um, Kaylee being a music therapist, JL being an art therapist, some people might not intuitively understand how we all work together. So I always try to set the scene for our clients when we first start sessions. Um, and I generally start talking about dementia 101, you know, what is changing in the brain for your loved one who's living with some type of dementia, how that's going to be affecting their skills, their abilities, and then highlighting that in the work that we're going to do, we're not going to be focused all on everything that's being lost because that's what most people talk about. I can't do this. They can't do that. They're not this way anymore. Um, and it's, it, that's when it becomes a really, really depressing outlook. Instead, we also focus on the parts of the brain that people keep and they retain and they still have the use of over time and kind of tee Kaylee and JL up for, you know, the modalities, the things that you're going to learn, the skills that you're going to practice with them are all going to focus on those parts of the brain that people keep. So once people can like logically understand that and wrap their mind around why we're using music, why we're using, you know, accessible art making, why 
there are other ways to communicate and tell your story in order to do legacy work um, beyond formal language. They're a lot more receptive down the line once they get into a music therapy session or start doing legacy work um, or want to bring in their greater care community um, to be a part of this process. So um, it, it kind of goes in like a head, hands, heart, humanity order. People get their head in the game. They understand the chemistry of dementia. And then they can start learning hands-on skills, getting their hands in, in the game, and then um, start opening their heart and allowing new ways to connect to arise between them and their loved ones. And then we always end our uh, packages, whether you know they're four, eight, 12 weeks, however long, with um, care community. So bringing the greater humanity into the conversation, kind of smashing that isolation that a lot of people experience as care partners. So bring in your friends, other family, um, professional caregivers, um, anyone who's going to be a part of the journey. So it's a non-hierarchical. It's not like one of our elements is more important or valid than the other, but they're really symbiotic. Uh, in the way that they work together. And it leaves our clients with a, a really robust toolkit. We find that when, when somebody really feels like they're failing as a care partner, they're just using the wrong tool for the task, right? So we want to give them with lots of different types of tools, whether it's dementia awareness, uh, self-care practice, a hands-on you know, music therapy intervention so that they have a lot of different things at their fingertips when they're trying to support their loved one. And it also makes it accessible for lots of different types of learners as well. We, we try to have our, our approach be really catch-all. I love the symbiotic approach to care for everyone involved. Um, and it's not just for clients, but also, like you said, for their care partners and within the collective, within your trifecta <laughs> of different areas <laughs> of expertise, how they are able to work well and complement one another um, and complement the, the care experience for um, those people that come in contact with CDC. And I love the framework of head, hands, heart, humanity. Yeah. <laughs> We love, we love some good alliteration, but it was just a really nice way of reminding ourselves, you know, how to, how to guide somebody from, you know, when, how, how the state they're in, when they generally come to us, you know, if somebody started working with us and they, we wanted to have an abstract conversation about legacy work and how to empower your care community to support, like they're just, they're not ready for that. They're like, I don't care. I just need to figure out how to go, how to get them to go to the bathroom. We found that it's kind of the most natural, organic, and supportive way to take them through that process. Head, hands, heart, and then humanity. It's a great experience uh, for somebody who maybe is a visual person or who feels things um, to, to work their way through that entire process to put meaning behind those words um, as they're going through. Because, you know, sometimes it is a confusing life experience and, and needing and, and having to find ways to get that support is sometimes a difficult first step. It's sometimes a challenging and scary first step. So having that assurance of, hey, you know, you're in a place where you can feel supported and these, it's not unnatural, this experience that you're going through and we're here to help you at whatever stage you are in coming to us. In that same vein, I, I feel like you are, are doing incredible work to care for others, but it's also important as 
helping professionals to care for yourselves. In an effort to include more music into the podcast this year, uh, this season, we have this question about important songs on your playlist right now and why. What are some of the songs on your playlist that are important to you right now and how important is it for you to care for yourself before you're able to show up for other people? I'll start with that one. Um, First of all, let me get real about this question in a couple of ways. I know that other music therapists relate to this, but there are some times that um, using music through my whole day for the care of other people leaves me a little burned out on music and I end up listening to talk radio. A lot of my music listening right now is very functional. Like I get in the car and I play my vocal warmups because I have a day of sessions in front of me. I'm singing in a mask in my settings. Um, So it's really important to do that vocal hygiene. And then I'm also in my band, we're getting ready to record an EP. So I'm listening to like my EP songs (laughs) to like get ready for that. So it's just been very functional. So I saw this question and I actually like made an intentional choice to like listen to my own music this week and like reconnect with that because it is really important. And given that I'm um, self-employed and seeing different clients, I do have time in the car to do that. And I was like going through my week, like, hmm, I wonder what song it'll be. Just kind of had that in the back of my head. And then last night driving home totally took me off guard. I started crying to the song, Ooh, Child. Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. That one. I just, I heard it and I just like was weeping at my steering wheel. And without getting into like too many personal details, I'm in a transitional time with my dad who has dementia. I am his at-home care partner full time. And as you know, like dementia is a moving target. The people who we are caring for change uh, in myriad ways. We change the access we have to support changes. Um, and so th- it's just constant transition. As soon as you hit a plateau and you feel good and find a rhythm, something changes um, and change is hard for me. And so like just being, I know I'm in the thick of it. I know the steps I need to take and, and where we're going. I know what to do, but it's still a challenge to just be in that moment and to know like things are adjusting and to kind of grieve an old process and an old relationship with dad to be moving into a new one. Um, so to have that, like, there's something very maternal about that phrasing, ooh, child, things are going to get easier. That that felt like a message I really need and not something that I can always get in that role reversal relationship that sometimes happens when you're caring for a parent with dementia. So it just like, ooh, that one hit me this week. I call it playlist anxiety because my ADHD kind of has me engage with music in two interesting ways. One is that I get really emotionally impacted. If I'm just like have a playlist on in the background with music that I know some of, but don't know all of, I can get really kind of sideswept by a song in the middle of my day in a way that's a little unsettling. So I tend to listen to the same music over and over again, either like nostalgic level, or I get one song that gets in my brain and I just listen to it on repeat until all the dopamine is rung out of it. And then it goes into my nostalgia playlist once the dopamine of the moment is 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 out of it. But I came across a new artist on Instagram, Reels, the like, thank you algorithm. I normally rue you, but you sent um, this, this song my way by an artist named Kennedy Ryan, last name R- 
Y-O-N. And um, she had a song out called Evergreen. And I think it's a cover that somebody else had originally done of the song. Um, But it's basically about like everlasting love and this kind of like love that permeates through time. And the way that the song is recorded, there's like a very kind of like haunting background, um, like refrain in the chorus that really, it gets like the full body nervous system chills of it. And that's a song I just keep listening to on repeat lately because it is just feeling like this as we're entering back into spring, waking up, connecting to nature. And it's got my, my dopamine on fire lately. So highly recommend. Sorry. I'll interject for a second before we head to you, Erin, because I will lose my thoughts here, but first, um, JL, totally resonate with the playlist anxiety. And I don't think I've ever had a word for it until you just said that. Like my phone is a mess when people, when like, when it comes to putting on, like if you're hanging out with friends and people are like, put your music on, I like run. I'm like, I can't, no, yes. it's not me. Oh my God. That's <laughs> exactly, no, I hate it. exactly my problem. My cousin called me out so hard last weekend and in it was in such a way that like her statement was so 100% true. I, there's nothing I could do about it. But she was like, yeah, you you love wedding music. And I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, you love like whatever a DJ would play at like a really good middle of the road wedding. You love it. You love that music. <laughs> What's not to love? <laughs> I was like, you're right. That's awesome. <laughs> Love that. Um, and Kaylee, I also really resonated with your sentiment of needing silence sometimes. Um, I think that's a really common thread for music therapists, especially, but um, it can be overwhelming when we're dealing with it all day for other people. It's one of those things where if I have like a, a younger person asking me about getting into the field, it's one of the things that like surprised me. So I make sure and I tell them like, Hey, by the way, you're getting into this because you love music, your relationship with music is going to change. Like, just so you're aware. And like, it's beautiful, but it's real. And I don't think, I I think it takes some of us by surprise. Absolutely. It's an important piece to highlight and, you know, navigating that change in relationship with music. I mean, we're talking lots about changes in relationships and that change with relationship is sometimes jarring for people, but you're right. It is beautiful and it will take its shape, um, but something to be mindful of. Certainly. Totally. All right, Erin. Yeah. I, so I was thinking about this and I'm like, realizing that we uh, work with so many of our clients to create music, uh, to support routines, um, you know, to have a playlist for waking up in the morning, to have a playlist for, you know, that challenging part of the afternoon when you might be sundowning, you know, to have a familiar playlist or song that you use to cue certain parts of the day or certain tasks. And I totally do that. <laughs> I totally do that unknowingly. So I, I, uh, manage a memory care, um, by day. And then I work with the Creative Dementia Collective kind of by night. When I leave my memory care at the end of my work day, I have a lot of pent up everything to get out. So I'll like drive home and I don't want to like come home and necessarily dump that onto my partner. So when I drive home, I generally listen to Working Bitch. So if anybody has, has ever heard Working Bitch, it's by... Um, Ashniko, I think, A-S-H-N-I-K-K-O. Um, I'm not going to say the lyrics because um, I'm going to let you enjoy looking them up on your own. It kind of gets out that like 
angst that I have coming out of my really intense workday at memory care so that I can get home having, I don't know, having processed a little bit. And then the second uh, music that really like cues the next stage of my day is um, I always make dinner and my fiance makes dessert. So while he makes dessert, he plays like love songs and we're getting married this summer. So we're looking for our song. And the one that we just keep coming back to, we keep coming back to is uh, Got to Be You by uh, the Brothers Landreth. It's a beautiful song. And whenever I hear that, that's like my cue that I am no longer in work mode. I am now in home mode. I am in relationship mode. I am focused on myself. And that always is like the mental subconscious reset for me that I've shifted into a different part of my day now. (laughs) So yeah, they're both great in their own right and serve a very different purpose. It's interesting what music can do for that, even that boundary that you were saying, right? Like shifting into a different part of the day. Thank you all for taking, uh, taking a few minutes to share some of those, um, those favorite songs or meaningful songs in this moment and all of the, um, you know, mixed things that come along with it. We do want to hear all about everything that you've been working on. You know, we're very excited to talk about the legacy workbooks that you've created, which we'll get to in just a little bit. Um, But before we do, I'm wondering if you can share your thoughts on the importance of legacy work in general. This is JL again. And legacy work is such a core part of what we do in the Creative Dementia Collective because how we think of legacy work and talk about it is basically prioritizing the telling of one's own story from one one's own lens, right? So communicating our story and telling our story is a really integral part of being a human being, period. We, you know, as long as humans have been around, we've been finding expressive ways to communicate our internal experience to the external world or preserve our experience for future generations. So that's a really kind of deeply human thing to do. But as Time goes on for some people, right? Um, And through the process of aging or through any um, kind of life event that makes verbal linguistic communication more difficult, it becomes harder and harder to have our stories heard and understood and preserved in the way that legacy work um, is really meant to, right? So when we're speaking about legacy work um, as care partners, right, we are wanting to do the work of engaging with our loved one to understand their lived experience and then find a way to preserve that story and then share it in a way that is meaningful to you or to the person whose story you're you're um, kind of capturing and honoring for the time being. So for an example, right, why this can be difficult in dementia care is if someone is 80 years old, right, their memory is impacting them in a way or their dementia is uh, impacting them in a way where they spend a lot of time thinking that they're in their late 20s, right? If you are their adult child who yourself, you're 40 or 50 years old, trying to talk to mom about, hey, remember that fun thing we did when we were kids? And your mom thinks that she's 30 years old still, she's going to have a hard time collaborating with you in that storytelling of, oh yeah, I remember we went to the beach and we did this thing. We ate at this place like we always do, right? And that can be 
create a gap of disconnection, right? Man, I'm trying to share in a story that mom can't remember. That makes me feel lonely. Um, why, why isn't mom wanting to like reminisce about this for me, right? So what can happen is that we then tell stories back at the person saying, oh yeah, you remember we stayed here and we did this and you and dad, you know, did X, Y, and Z. And that can actually be really helpful for reminiscent if we prompt back an event and someone can then lean back in and kind of co-create with us. But in the story gathering portion of that, it's really important for us to try to find ways to understand what is someone's actual lived experience because they are more than, in this example, just your mom who took you on a vacation to the beach this one time. They are a whole person that has lived a whole life outside of just being your mom. So when we can find ways to reminisce and and talk about legacy that aren't just from the perspective of the one with the language telling this story, um, it really decreases these barriers around, right? Like we're talking now about like disability, accessibility. Um, how do you have your perspective honored when you can't do it in the way that is easiest for everyone around you, right? That's why music therapy, art therapy, these kinds of things are really, really helpful in ways to tell someone's story, express someone's inner experience that doesn't require kind of chronological temporal language. Like, yes, this one time we went to the beach, right? Our experiences are more than just remembering specific events. So the way that we talk about legacy and part of how we structured these legacy workbooks that we made is telling our stories out of order, with no order, from the moment that they're in, or from this kind of large review of life. Um, but there are different ways that we want to tell our stories or can tell our stories in any particular moment along the dementia journey. Thanks for that explanation and, and insight, JL. I think that's such an important uh, mindset to have of like that holistic whole person. Um, because even as you're talking, right, like I think about my mom and my dad, you know, sometimes we dip into the like, oh yeah, your college days or, or whatever, just a normal conversation. But for the most part, my lens of them is my parents. And we forget that there's lots of life that happens even, even when my, they're like, as my parents, they're, they're off doing other things. We're not together 24 seven. So there's so much uniqueness and so much individuality there. It's sometimes a challenge to be able to really dig into that when, like you said, the language um, is not the same or um, we're not experiencing or expressing the same way that we used to. There's also an element too, I forgot to mention about um, like tone, right. And, and elements of narrative included or expressed, right. That we might not think about when we're wanting to reminisce with someone at end of life. Uh, it's super easy to fall into this place of let's only talk about the good things. Let's reminisce about the good times. Um, won't that be nice if we can talk about this nice memory? And yes, we want to talk about the good times. We want to reminisce and experience joy in, a, in moments throughout the lifespan. And life is not a wholly joyous occasion. Even if we have a super awesome life, there are still things that happen happen to us or that we experience that are emotionally complex to say the least, right? And so something that can be hard as a care partner is if we're not sure how to open those doors or hold that space for your mom or your grandma or your partner to talk about some of the rougher experiences along the life path, um, then we're not getting their whole story either. So that's another part of legacy work too, is making space for all of it, not just the wonderful, shiny memories, but creating ways for people to express actually the 
the complexity of their whole humanness um, when we're talking about what they've experienced um, along their their lifeline, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Making space for all of it. So you you mention um we we mentioned this this term of care partner frequently. And first I really like that language. And I think we probably talked about that the last time you were here as well. Um, but I'm wondering your thoughts on the role of the care partner within dementia care. So I'll I'll speak to that. Um just, you know, being at home with my dad. Um it's it's hard to balance those conflicting roles, particularly um, parent-child, right? There's a, a bit of a role reversal, and it's really easy to infantilize or um, to kind of uh, do too much <laughs> and not let them be an adult and not give them opportunity to be their their full selves. And part of the reason we use that language care partner is because it's a partnership and we don't do care to them. <laughs> we partner with them in their care. Um, and that means meeting them where they are. And in some places where dad needs more handholding, great, I'm there. And um, particularly lately, part of this transition I was talking about earlier is me learning to give him uh, more opportunities for independence, um, not answering every question he has right away and rather saying, yeah, where are your sweatpants? Hmm. Where can, what do you think? We have a dresser over there. What What's written on those drawers? Where do you think they are? And then he figures it out himself rather than it's easier to just grab your sweatpants. I'm in a rush. I'm in, a, you know, we're going to be late, right? Which is so easy to slip into when you're doing the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, and then something that we were talking about earlier, um, the three of us, was um, that care partnership, particularly for mine and my dad's relationship, allowing it to go both ways still, allowing him to care for me still, Um it's so easy when you're uh, caring for a vulnerable person to just have that be a one-way street. But there are a lot of ways that he can still care for me. There are a lot of ways that he still wants to show up as a parent and wants to show up um, in a in a warm, um, two-way type of relationship. Um, and if I put him in a box of you can't do this. You have limited skills. I need to do everything for you that we don't get those moments. Those are never going to happen. Um, but when I allow him the autonomy to make choices, when I allow him the opportunity to make mistakes, um, and to like get up and try it again. And, you know, that, that gives him, um, more opportunity to, lean into him, his full self. And part of that full self, again, like JL was saying, not all of it, but part of that full self is he's my dad. And, um, we had a, we had a tough conversation recently where, uh, he'd done something, um, that was risky and dangerous. And I talked to him about why it worried me and why that was not the right decision to make. And I did this whole spiel about it. And at the end of the conversation, I was totally floored because he looks at me and goes, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I care about your feelings. And I was like, what? 
Like any 67-year-old man, regardless of their brain change, looking at their adult daughter and saying, I care about your feelings after their daughter comes to them with some critical feedback, like forget dementia. That's just an evolved human man. Thank you very much. Like snaps for dad. So um, I think that's a great example of like that partnership of I'm being honest with him and saying, you did this thing that was risky and it made me worry. And I don't like that. And and giving him the opportunity to hear that, that allows me the opportunity to receive a fatherly moment of like, I care about you. I care about your feelings. Yeah, let's make decisions together. Let's do something that works better for us. Like, oh, what, what more could you want? That is a beautiful moment to share. Like you said, just in any context, like what a, what a lovely moment to share, to be able to be open to that. Um, and, and you mentioned, you know, allowing people to make mistakes. Um, and that I'm really latching onto right now because I mean, just in general, we are humans, we make mistakes and feeding back into that piece of humanity, right? Like we, it, it's not, unexpected for people to make mistakes. And that's how we learn. And that's how we explore. And that's how, you know, that's part of life. One of my groups that I've been working with, it's it's not in dementia care, but in general, we've been talking a lot about ourselves and our stories. Um, and we listened to the Natasha Bedingfield song, um, Unwritten. And one of the lines is, we've been conditioned to not make mistakes, but I can't live that way. And so I just, I've had that kind of on repeat in my brain for the past little while and true say 100%. You know, I, I look at the role of care partner from a really different lens um, as somebody who is in a community care setting. And I work with a lot of professional care partners and a lot of family members, you know, who participate in their loved one's lives to varying degrees. So Kaylee and I kind of have a different perspective um, on what care partnering can look like. And yeah, there's so much about making a space, whether it's like your actual physical space, the environment, or your own emotional space, making that space really forgiving. So it's an environment where people can make mistakes, just like you were both talking about. So is your environment or is your space functional? Like, does it, is it set up in the way that it needs to be set up, you know, to it? encourage independence and, you know, to, to support people in, in the way they need. Is it friendly? You know, does it feel like a home environment or, you know, does it feel like a really clinical sterile setting? Um, but most importantly, is it forgiving? Um, and I think I'm as a care partner myself, I'm in this constant dance between like what I think needs to happen, my agenda, right. And then what we want to have happen. Um, and then what they, as the person living with dementia can actually participate in making happen. And sometimes there's a really big gap between those things. Um, so a lot of my work and in, in the work I'm doing with the family members and, and my staff is always dismantling our own idea of what's right and what needs to happen and what it means to be, you know, an adult sometimes. Um, and leaning into the, into the phrase, who cares? Like who really cares? Do we care that he just came into the dining room wearing two hats on his head and thinks it's the coolest fashion trend ever. We are mortified. We are embarrassed. We think that's not dignified. We think that's weird, but he thinks it's the bee's knees. Like 
who actually cares? So it's always like re-examining our own lens of what we think is appropriate and okay. And it can, you know, responding to somebody walking in wearing two hats can go one of two ways. You can go in and criticize that person and correct them and make them feel small and ashamed and maybe pissed off. And then they don't like you very much. Or you can go in and you can say, right on. I love this look. You know, I used to do that when I was a kid. I would like wear two hats and a headband and like, you know, what a cool new trend. And you can really like celebrate that person's individuality and that unique creative expression in that moment. And they're like, oh, cool. I feel kind of, I like you now. I don't remember your name, but I know I like you. You make me feel good. So it's all about how we respond to those mistakes that happen, you know, and that's a pretty inconsequential mistake. And there are some that are bigger and some that are smaller, but um, it's very much about how you respond to what happens. And then, yeah, making space for all those complex emotions. I would, I would love um, every day to be about these beautiful breakthroughs that we have with, you know, a dimension informed approach and using creative, you know, expressive therapy interventions and things like that. But that's what we're aiming for with those is like those moments of sparkle of joy of expression and then also giving space for you know the sorrow of life the um sadness that naturally comes with transition and loss you know and being able to be with that and be comfortable with it and then i think the last piece is just providing for other care partners like just witnessing witnessing what it's like to be a care partner you know, whether it's with my staff or, you know, a family member or with Kaylee, you know, we provide this for each other a lot. I don't always need somebody to provide a solution or try to fix um, or provide a practical, you know, response to something that happened today in memory care. Um, I just need you to witness it. And, and especially if somebody works in a dementia care setting for them to get it and see it. And that's a lot of what I provide my staff all day long. She's like, wow, that was a real dementia moment. I see you. I got you. And then we carry on with our day. Like not everything is necessarily correctable or, you know, a teaching moment. It's just like, hi, I, I see you. And how do we set those boundaries so that people are finding ways to be witnessed and heard and supported um, by the people in their community and that it all doesn't fall on one person. So if you're out there and you're listening, I highly, highly encourage you to find a support group of people who can share in that uh, in the shared experience of being a care partner and being in the dementiaverse. Um, it makes a world of difference. So find somebody who gets what you're going through just so you can ping pong back and forth and witness each other. I can only imagine. I, I'm I'm not a care partner myself, and I can in witnessing uh, some of the relationships of of care partners that I support in music therapy and in those relationships too. I it's there's a weight to it, and like you said, there's that gray area between well, what do I want and for this person, or what do they want, or what matters. And so, um, two really great pieces of advice of you know having that support network because it probably feels very, very heavy. But I also really loved that tangible, who cares? Like what an awesome thing. That's so great. Who like, cares? Yeah. If you're finding yourself kind of uh, stressing out about something, that's like an awesome mantra. Who cares? Is it me? Is it you? Cool. Let's move on. Sweet hat. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like, and just, it's so important to have somebody who can like just provide you a different perspective. Like jail, so masterful. 
like so masterful. Like I get on with them and like Kaylee and jail and they just have a way of offering back to me my experience in like a different way. I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. Well that gives me a lot of freedom and space to go back to work the next day. I really want to know about the legacy workbooks that you have created. So can we transition over there and um, tell us all about what they are, how they came to be, how they can be used as a supportive resource? So I will give kind of an overview of what the books are and like how they came to be. And then Kaylee's going to give some of her kind of firsthand experience using some of the stuff in these workbooks with her dad. But they basically came to be because we wanted to be able to offer to people a way to engage with our approach to legacy work and our perspective in dementia care of this kind of, you know, head, hands, heart, humanity idea um, of how we approach things. And so it starts off with some dementia education. Oh, first I should say, it's a set of workbooks and they are, um, uh, authored in such a way that they can work independently of each other, but they are like super extra duper powerful when you combine them together. And so one of them is the care partner workbook. And the other one is the loved one legacy workbook. The care partner workbook is a bit more um, on the kind of formal education workbook side of things where there's um, uh, more dense language around dementia, what's going on in the brain, different types of dementia, uh, ways that music impacts areas of the brain, little bit of background and history of music therapy and art therapy, what they are. So this is a bit more on the educational side, but every section in the care partner workbook corresponds directly to certain pages in the loved one legacy workbook. So for example, if you are an at-home care partner and you're working on educating yourself around dementia, understanding ways that you can bring in music therapy tools, art therapy tools to augment the care you're providing um, to your loved one, then you're sitting down at the table working at one section of the workbook. Your loved one can sit right next to you, be working on the same idea, but in a format that's more accessible. So the loved one legacy workbook has far less um, dense educational text. It's way more visual and representational um, in terms of like use of symbolic language. And then also there are um, one... Uh, section in particular that I think is a really great example of this is in the care partner workbook. There's a section of legacy questions, right? Uh, questions you can ask your loved one about their life and their life experience. And in the care partner workbook, there's spaces for you to write down um, all this information. In the loved one legacy book, the same questions are printed, but they're in very kind of like bold, larger text so that your loved one can follow along. And sometimes auditory processing doesn't work the same as visual processing and vice versa. So sometimes I work with clients where when they read something, complete comprehension, if I say the words to them and they just have to hear and understand what I'm saying, it's like it goes in one ear out the other. So we wanted to make it accessible in that way. And then it's set up so that once you kind of go through the workbook, either alone as a care partner or in collaboration with your loved one, um, when it's done, you have a legacy object, right? The book that they filled out with coloring pages and worksheet pages on how their brain is feeling, their favorite songs, um, 
drawing a self-portrait, things like that. Once it's filled out, you have this object that you can look back upon and be like, wow, look at all of this stuff I learned about you, you learned about yourself, and we have it kind of all together in one place. So we wanted to create something that was both educational and engaging. Um, That was kind of like fun learning as you go and meaning-making activities at the same time. Yeah. And then I'll jump in to like talk about my hands-on experience using uh, these workbooks. So like, first of all, as a care partner, let's talk about self-care. It's a great buzzword and we hear it everywhere, but how hard is it to like actually implement? So hard, (laughs) so hard. So when I have like, rather than this big, broad, I need to make time for self-care and then uh, no real direction or no real structure, what do I end up doing? Watching the same shows on Netflix and doom scrolling on my phone, which to be fair, there's a time and place and that's fine too, but like, it can't be the only thing you're doing. So for me, It was really helpful to have like a structure, uh, something to go to for my self-care time, something to like say, I don't have the brain space in my overwhelm and in my busy day and in my burnout to come up with a self-care thing. I'm going to flip through these pages and one of them, you know, I might want to do this mandala or I might want to look at the the legacy workbook page and kind of circle ones that feel good to me and like that feels like self-care. So um, there's a lot of really helpful tips on self-care where I feel like so much of the messaging around self-care just in general right now is just, it doesn't have any meat to it. It, it doesn't have any like action to it. So I, I really, we saw that problem and I really appreciate how we address it with these workbooks. And then my favorite part of the uh, loved one workbook so far with my dad is I I thought going into it'd be music because he's a musician. He still plays music. And that was very fun. Um, And it was nice to like go through. We did like music Mad Libs, which was really silly and and fun. We did finding his signature song. But the thing that like really sticks with me is um, he drew a self-portrait. And um, first of all, he's paralyzed on his right side because of he, his dementia is traumatic brain injury related, which comes with um, one-sided paralysis. And he drew this whole thing with his left hand. He's not left-handed. And it's really, really good. <laughs> it's like very high quality. I was very surprised. I know a lot of his skills and I was really surprised to see like his talent in visual arts. But then the other thing about it was he drew a younger version of himself. He currently has a goatee. Most of his adult life, he wore a mustache. He wears an eye patch because of that paralysis. He drew himself without an eye patch. Um, He labeled his name on it. And the place where he wrote his name is the same place where you'd wear a name tag on your shirt. And I just, all those little details, like, you know, he was one of those guys, he worked construction. So he would, he would have his name like embroidered on the shirt that he was wearing or like a patch. Um, And that to me harkens back to what we were saying, this legacy workbook and, and our whole, um, goal around legacy work is to allow somebody to tell their story through their lens. I don't see my dad as that guy with a mustache and without an eye patch. Like I knew him when I was a young child, but that's not who I think of when I think of dad right now. But to know that that's actually how he sees himself right now in this moment, um, 
And, and I think more broadly, when he thinks of like who he is at his core and part of his identity, that's what he sees. That's what he pictures. Able, younger, um, you know, like useful, like it just a, a, a more, um, more capable, vibrant, um, version in, in just a very different way than he is now. Cause there's obviously still vibrancy now, but it's just, as we were talking about lots of change. Um, and to me, that was the most profound thing. And I, I took this picture of him holding up his, his self-portrait. And I was, he was like beaming, big smile. And I showed him the picture and it was seeing himself in the picture that he goes, Oh, I forgot to put my eye patch on. I forgot to draw an eye patch. And I said, that's okay. You didn't wear an eye patch your whole life, did you? And he goes, oh, well, no. And so that was also powerful too, for me to give him permission to say, you don't have to reflect exactly how you are right now. You can, this self-portrait can be however you see yourself. And that's exactly the point of it. So, um, yeah. And I, and I have that, I have that picture of him holding it. I have that original artwork and, um, that's really precious to me. There will be a time he's not able to, to do that. There, there's going to be a time that he can change and, and, and that would be a different experience, but also what's cool about this workbook is, um, I can revisit that same intervention, I can revisit that same page in the workbook a couple of years down the line, and it might be a totally different experience. And that gives me a window into like his mind. Um, and it allows me to kind of move with him through the process. Cause this isn't, this isn't a, a pair of workbooks that's designed just for people early onset or just for people at a certain skill level. Like this really can bring you all the way through this journey. Um, and for me, what's cool is being able to repeat some of these things at different points in the journey and have a, a bigger tapestry of how my dad has seen himself and what that demented journey has looked like for me and for him. Um, so it's, it's a living document. It's not, oh, I did the work, but close the page. I'm done. Like I can come back to all these things, which to me makes it really beautiful. It's so funny that you shared about doing the self-portrait, Kaylee. Um, just a quick uh, add-on to that. I did that self-portrait exercise with one of my residents the other day. And you might think like somebody is just sitting down and like all of a sudden pulling this self-portrait out of nowhere. Like there were a lot of steps <laughs> that um, the workbook support, like guided me through to get up to that point. So there it was, I'm like, it's, you know, mid afternoon. I have one gal who's just kind of like hanging around the activity room. And I'm like, I'm tired. I, you know, I I'm tapped for inspiration at that point in the day. And I'm just like, do you want to do some art? And she's like, sure. So I put down like, you know, some paper and paints and she kind of just like looked at this page, like, uh, what? And then she was like, I don't, what, I don't even know what to do. And I was about to just be like, okay, well, never mind. Let's do something else. So then I was like, wait, hang on. I like ran to my office and I got the workbook and I came back and I followed the steps that are in there to, um, to get someone going, especially somebody who struggles with initiating and sequencing and taking like a big abstract thought, like let's make art and turning it into actionable steps 
And I did those and I, I just took her page and I took the prompts that are in the book and I restructured the page a little bit differently. We did a couple exercises leading up to, you know, to warm up, um, to get her hand dexterity moving to, um, you know, engage with the, um, different materials in different ways. And, you know, fast forward about 45 minutes later, there she is sitting there drawing the self-portrait, same person who, you know, an hour prior was telling me, I, I have no idea what to do. I can't even, I don't even know what to do with this pencil. Um, so it really like supported her brain change, understood her brain change. It gave me instructions. Cause like, I'm not an artist. I'm not an art teacher and art, art therapist, but it made it really accessible and easy for me as the care partner to turn what could have been just like a throwaway moment. Like, okay, fine. Like we'll do something else into something super, super meaningful. Um, and her self-portrait also was very revealing about how she sees herself. And she ended up having like really surprising herself with what she could do. It, it was a meaning making moment and really, really powerful. And every exercise is like that, right? Like whether it's the self-portrait example or doing music activities or, or everything else that's in there. So that is really neat. Like what an empowering tool to have. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a fair amount of, of resources out there for, um, you know, the quote unquote caregiver of, okay, this is how you do that. And this is um, how you provide support. And these are the things you need to consider. But the fact that this is so collaborative and like, I think Kaylee, you used the language of like the, it, it's a window into their perspective. Mm. Um, like really truly designed for that person, but for you to be able to go along that journey with them and how cool that you actually tangibly can see some in, in some of those, um, exercises, like what's happening in their brain, how they see themselves or what's like prominent to that person, um, at that time that we maybe didn't pick up on like fascinating, super cool tools to use. Kudos to you all. That's just incredible. <laughs> it gave me a little confidence boost. It gave both of us a confidence boost yeah. and that, you know, I'll, I'll take those wins where I can get them. So <laughs> yeah, take those wins. And, and, you know, like you said, those tangible steps when you're feeling as a care partner or as a, um, a supporter, you're like, I don't know how to explain this. I don't know where to go. Like, eh. like tangible steps to help you ease into that process to be able to, um, yeah, support that autonomy and that empowerment. You know, if there are people out here who are really resonating with this, which I'm certain that they, there are, um, where can they snag these nifty workbooks and how can they connect with you or where can they find you? They can visit our website, creativedementiacollective.com. There's a shop button, um, to check them out. Um, you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, same name, Creative Dementia Collective, or reach out to us, um, email info at guessitcreativedementiacollective.com. Yeah, we we do hope that people resonate with this. And, and one of the things that is um, a really important motive behind this is we we can only reach so many people directly, right? With our with our work and um with maybe working kind of more closely with them uh, on a program. But these dementia care workbooks, the legacy workbook, the care partner workbook, they can reach more people that maybe maybe they don't want a, a full program with us. Maybe they live really far away or it's just not the right time for them. Maybe this is something that like, somebody who cares about somebody who's going through this journey wants to gift, you know, maybe their, their cousin is like experiencing this with their husband and they want to send something to be supportive. Like it's just, it's a nice way to kind of, um, broaden that net 
and connect with more people and um, to have a resource because that tangible resource can be um, really, really critical at different times uh, for people along that journey. Another great way that you can use our legacy workbooks as well are we're, you know, trying to destigmatize the conversation around dementia. And something that makes intergenerational connection really difficult is we don't really talk about, you know, this is how you speak with someone who is living with dementia. These are ways that you can connect. These are things that you can do together, right? So if you have uh, someone in your life that's like a younger person and they're trying to connect with an elder who is living with dementia um, and they're not really sure what to do, right? Our workbook is a really great way to here's prompts, here are questions to ask, here are conversation starters, here's the thing you can do together. I mean, kind of take the edge off. It can feel a little daunting um, to go and try to engage with someone that you feel like you have very little shared life experience with. And like, what a great way to learn one, that you have more overlap than you thought, but two, you don't have to just make it up out of thin air and you have a guide of this is how you can connect and communicate and start a dialogue with someone who kind of maybe is outside of your social sphere by by quite a bit. So much goodness in this conversation. I'm always so floored to get to talk to the three of you and hear what you've been up to and the great work that you're doing for, for this community. And, and Kaylee, like you said, kind of casting the net a bit wider um, than you're able to reach because we cannot do it all, especially if we loop back to that uh, self-care comment that you made earlier. There's lots to unpack there too. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, thank you again so much. Are, are there any last thoughts or um, pieces that you want to share with our audience or make sure that they're taking away with them before we wrap? You're not alone. It's really hard. It's a moving target. I'm an expert in this. This is my full professional career specialization. And there are times that I feel so overwhelmed and like I'm drowning. And so if you're feeling that that's super freaking normal. Um, so give yourself grace. Um, and, uh, if, if you love somebody who's a care partner, um, just a reminder, like when they're in that overwhelm, it's really hard to reach out and to be the first person to say, hi, here's what I'm needing. And like, identify that. So this is, um, it's a, it, a call to you to, to reach out to them first and to check in or, or, or offer, offer a hand, offer an ear. Thank you so much, Kaylee, Aaron, JL. It's been fabulous chatting with you and we'll be sure to link everything that you shared in our, our notes so that people can get in touch. Thank you so, so much for the platform to talk about dementia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank awesome. you so much we for appreciate having it. us. It's so good to be back and, and chat again. Thank you for listening to the Able Voice Podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Synergy Music Therapy. You can also find links to our most recent and top-rated episodes on our website at www.synergymusictherapy.com.